From Grooveview Studios in Columbus, Ohio, this is Getting the Brand Back Together, a podcast exploring the interdisciplinary art of banding, branding, and business building. Rock and roll relic, poet, writer, and brandist, I'm your host, Brad Sertoni. Today, we're joined by Becca Johns, the Director of Practice Growth at Ray & Associates. Great to have you, Becca. Thanks, Brad. I'm so happy to be here. It's so good to see you. We're here and it's live. It's li- we're, Yeah, in last, person. Yeah, and the last time was, I think, in Cleveland, mm-hmm. when the pandemic hit, we were doing a podcast on the road. Yeah, we were actually sitting there recording the podcast when I got a news alert on my phone that the World Health Organization declared it a pandemic. Yes. And, and there were cases we, in Cuyahoga County. Those were the first cases in Ohio. And there we sat. <laughs> I got in my car, got the same alert. I was going to go see some friends downtown, if you remember. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I said, nope. Nope. I got to get back to Columbus. Yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. That was a memorable day. It was. This is absolutely a highlight to have you on. Uh, so I would, I'd like to talk about, first of all, a little bit about your background. You have been at Ray 16 years, mm-hmm. correct? Yep. And I also know that for our listeners out there, Rain Associates is a, a business consultancy and accounting firm. Uh, their, their position more as a consultancy, which we're going to get into uh, today. And mm-hmm. Becca has been a huge part of that. And they have 16 locations in the state of Ohio, about 400 employees and about 15,000 clients. Uh, they are a top 100, I think you said around 80th mm-hmm. largest uh, firm in the U.S. And I learned, Becca, that you were named to accounting today's list of top 100 most influential people in public accounting. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. Yeah, thank you. And of course, I got no text on this. <laughs> I got no emoji, nothing. Yeah. So, and I know this year you're the board president for the um, Association for Accounting Marketing, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Well, my term actually ended June 30th. So, oh. um, so how did it go? It was, you know, it was a challenge. We are currently without an executive director and, um, you know, wow. leading the organization through a pandemic was difficult, but we got through it. I learned a lot. I had a lot of fun. Um, I made some great connections. You know, I'm glad I did it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes, I've done that a few times on various boards, not to this level. And, you know, your heart's in the right place, but then you think sometimes, what did I just take on? Mm-hmm. Right. It's like it, having two jobs. It, it is. Mm-hmm. It really is. Mm-hmm. When I was looking at the the site and, and looking at Ray and some of the principles on there, it says under your description of what you do when I went into our bio section that you know, you you help provide tools to our teammates so they can grow their practice and develop new offerings and solutions for their clients. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about tools, just as an overview uh, from the marketing department, if you will, at Ray, uh, what are some of those tools? And I love this idea that that they you, you're we're utilizing these tools so they can grow their practice, almost like it is a practice and one of their expertises inside of a practice, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. And so is that how you guys view it, first of all? Yeah, so we go to market based on industry and service line specializations. So um, some of those literally are their own profit center within the firm. And the way they go to market is very different. The way you market to a construction client versus a government or a nonprofit, very different. So when I say I provide tools, sometimes that tool is knowledge and helping them understand who their target market is, help them understand what services their target markets need, what their needs are, and then identifying the channels of distribution to get those services to those clients and prospects. 
Another tool that we provide is in the form of technology. So we've implemented a CRM system where we're capturing information about clients' opportunities and helping mine that data and saying, okay, cybersecurity team, here are all the opportunities for you. And we kind of try to help them prioritize. Like they only have so many hours in the day. So these are the ones that we believe are the hottest opportunities. If I were, if I were you, I would start there. That's great. So, tact- so so you begin with a strategy and then those service lines, as they segmentize their way to market, you actually will give a recommendation on maybe what might be most profitable for the company and most worth their while. Yeah. And we, we can see what pages they're visiting on the website. So sure. if we notice that a client is visiting pages about HR consulting, you know, we tell them, find a way to work this into the conversation. Please don't say, I saw that you were reading this article on our website. Right. You know, and if you ever notice you get some targeted messages, that's that's exactly why. But it is good for our listeners to know. And, and you're saying from a brand perspective, Ray wants to use the right language when coming back to the prospect or client. So it doesn't feel like you said, you know, um, too beh- just behind the curtain. Yeah. And we also want to tailor our messages as much as possible and give people relevant information, relevant content that speaks to their issues and their needs that they're facing. You know, a manufacturing client doesn't want an article about how to improve their nonprofit organization. We try to segment that as much as possible. Right, right. Good point. <laughs> One thing I want to talk about is what I, what I think is the uniqueness of the Ray brand and the way it markets as a professional service firm. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've represented a number, whether it's legal, whether it's banking, whether it's pure financial, whether it's investments, or whether it's accounting or business consultancy in your your instance. But talk a little bit about how you respect the employee first at Ray from the inside out, because we believe, you know, branding has two major avenues. One is customer first. And the other one on on the other side internally is the fit with our teammates. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just bring this up because in full disclosure, uh, we do a lot of um, branding and marketing and content services for Ray and have for quite some time. But what's most impressive about the company to me in my expertise is how sensitive you are to branded communications and how you treat your people. Mm -hmm. So first, talk to us a little bit as a professional service firm, why you respect the relationship with your employees so much. Yeah. So, you know, in our strategic plan, we have four cornerstones. They're people, clients, growth, and firm. And everyone will agree that people is the most important cornerstone. And that's not to say that our clients are not important. Actually, the reason why people are so important is because if you take care of your people, they'll take care of their clients. So, you know, we just believe that if you have happy employees, if you have productive employees, they're going to enjoy doing their work. They're going to work together. And that makes us a stronger firm. It makes us a stronger community. And we're able to serve our clients better together. Right. And what's interesting about that, as I said at the top of the podcast, there's 16 locations throughout Ohio. And culturally, though, and some are smaller towns, you know, some are larger cities like, like Dublin, as, as mm-hmm. the case. But what's amazing is the culture does seem to be embedded throughout all of them. And you and I have spoken off mic at other times, and it's a very interesting thing. And so I'm just putting myself in your shoes as a brand Marcom person or just straight marketing communications. How do you keep it so individualized, Mm people-centric, 
And at the same time, keep a discipline of the brand the same. And the reason Google has a Google campus is to create unity, mm -hmm. right? Not fragmentation. It's almost like, I'm not saying that you guys are comfortable with fragmentation, but you're okay being separate, if you will, uh, like micro brands mm -hmm. inside the master brand. And I think you, you shared with me that, oh yeah, Brad, it's called Big Ray and Little Ray. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so tell us about your approach in branding internally for the company. Who's Big Ray and who the hell's Little Ray? Yeah. So, you know, we we want to operate as one firm and there are certain things that we want to be consistent across the firm. You know, we want to provide consistent client experience. We want to have consistent business development processes, but we also know that um, each office has its own unique personality. Some of our offices have maybe 10, 15 people in it. Some have more than 50. So, of course, there's going to be differences. And like you mentioned, some are in small towns, some are in bigger cities. So, you know, at first the culture kind of was just by luck, I guess you would say. But more recently, we've been more intentional about it. We have an internal communications team that works on pushing out messaging to the firm. Um, we're regionalized now. So we have four regions. So that kind of helps us act in fewer, larger units than six, 16 separate offices. We're four regions. Um, and those are each led by a regional president. So there is some consistency that we're working on. And that's kind of what we look at. Big Ray versus Little Ray is, you know, here's the firm as a whole. And then we also recognize that each office has their own own characteristics that make them all unique. Sure, their own brand personality. Mm -hmm. We had some people in um, on a podcast will be airing around, around the time yours will be from Express. And they talked about from a fashion sense and a clothing design sense, this idea of brands within brands mm -hmm. and, and how those were managed. But they all still came together as, as one voice. But tell me uh, a few things when you, when, when you and I talked about this, it's intriguing to me. I'm sure sometimes Little Ray can teach Big Ray something Big Ray had forgotten about or never tried to do. Mm -hmm. Does that happen as far as things bubbling up in that manner for whether it's a marketing initiative or perhaps it's a brand philosophy or it's just an informal customer service thing that works in New Philadelphia that no one in Dublin has thought about? Sure. Yeah. Our um, East Central region, which is New Philadelphia, Millersburg, and Worcester, are really, really great about, we, we call them client opportunity plan meetings, where they're sitting down and meeting and talking about their clients and what their needs are and how we're servicing them, what holes there might be. Um, and that's something we're trying to duplicate in all the other regions. And, you know, I don't really have a specific example aside from that. But, you know, when I think about smaller firms, smaller CPA and consulting firms, um, they can be a lot more nimble than the big firms. It's often easier for them to make big seismic changes. Um, so I would imagine in some of our smaller offices, when they're trying to roll something out, when they're, we have a small group of people, you only have to get so many people on board versus, you know, 50, 60 people. Right, right, right. Yeah. right. Yeah. In your case. And, and, and of course, when I hear that kind of language, and I know that you, we talk about marketing all the time, trying to get everybody to stand behind a campaign, stand behind a brand. It's sometimes like herding cats. Yeah. So you can imagine the cultural differences just within a state of Ohio between a small town and say one that finds himself to be an innovative leader, right? You know, near Columbus, Ohio, that there are some things that you want to keep standardized mm -hmm. as a brand leader, Becca. And there's some things that you say, well, leave that alone. It's customized. Mm -hmm. Do you... Does the do you and the marketing team actually go through that and say like something pops up and you go well that's not even on brand, but it's a great idea. Do we take it away and put it on brand and reintroduce it? What do you do 
with the, even if we break it down just those four uh, segments, like you were saying, what do you do if something nimble gets outside of the brand and isn't right for the brand, mm-hmm. but it's still the personality of one of our offices? How do you guys overcome these little pings that might come up in this kind of a management? Yeah, I, I don't know if this is exactly what you're looking for, but one of our offices is very involved in their county fair. They send people out to do the registration for the livestock auction. I think they buy a hog and like donate the... I think it's for meat. I don't think they're actually like taking the hog home. No, right, right. Um, well, they name the hog, right, probably. Right. And you know, I question... I saw the spend and I question like... Is this, you know, is this really what we want to be spending our marketing sponsorship dollars on? But then I learned that the number of clients they see when they're sitting at that table registering for the livestock auction, they're seeing their top clients. Yeah. And so while that may not work in Cleveland or Columbus for that community, it's it's great visibility and they get a chance to touch a lot of people. So I love it. Yeah. (laughs) And what a uh, organic, authentic way right? To have a conversation with a neighbor in your community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? It's hard. It, you may not trust a human, but you can always trust a hog. <laughs> I guess. I, I haven't known many hogs, so I can't really... Oh, I do. <laughs> I need to get out it's more. A, <laughs> well, this pandemic, <laughs> yeah. the hog patrol is on the loose. <laughs> okay. So when these things pop up uh, like that, that's a very specific example. Mm-hmm. Are there also sometimes when the nimbleness or agility of Ray that you and the team have to step in and say, you know what? I think perhaps you should approach us this way. Or let's take the opposite of hogs. Let's take golf. Okay. Right? So the old school way, of course, is, well, let's just go on the golf course. We'll talk about business and that's camaraderie. Mm -hmm. Are there times when you say, well, wait a minute, you know, golfers, maybe think about something simpler because talk about a spend, right? Oh, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So, do these nuances sometimes teach the more traditional, but uh, does that sometimes teach these bigger brand uh, initiatives and make you guys question what are we doing with our spends and are we doing the right thing? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I look at some of those, some of those spends and I do question, you know, I think there are some things that do make a difference. I think there are some things that don't. Um, we kind of give each office its own discretionary marketing budget and, you know, Right or wrong, my perspective is stay inside that number and that's not a hill I'm going to die on. That's kind of what I like to say. Exactly. I mean, there have been times when I've said, you know, that's not something my team can support. Like if you've already committed the dollars, that's fine. But like we can't, we can't send someone to that event. But, you know, whenever I'm in that position to say no, I kind of try to like to bring them along that journey with me. And I ask them the questions about what do you expect to get from this and help they're kind of coming to that no answer along with me instead of me saying no, because then they're learning. They're learning why instead of just being like, oh, well, Becca told me I can't do that. Right, right, right. Which is the, I know that's not the kind of reputation we want as marketers, right? Right, yeah. Those always saying no. Yeah. And what determines in your brain what a standard part of the of Ray, like the Ray way is a, a standard part, which is the the founder who found Ray in 1938. Mm-hmm wrote this beautiful, simple philosophy. What are there, 12 to 15 statements, something like that. Uh, That's a philosophy about the way he wanted to do business once he was furloughed to start Ray in New Philadelphia, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And when those are cornerstones of the brand, Mm -hmm. how do you determine as a brand leader, as a marketer, what is something that you're going to say, this discipline needs to be uh, throughout all of Ray and this only goes to 
one or two of the locations more segmentized and tactical? How do you make that determination as they come in or is it something that you plan for? It's a little bit of both. Again, since our offices have the ability to spend their own marketing dollars, sometimes we find out about things after the fact. <laughs> Imagine <But> that. <laughs> I know. It's my favorite. <laughs> um, you know, for those bigger initiatives, the way we prioritize is we have something called Ray 1000 clients. And those are our top clients that are sticky. They're buying multiple services from us. They want to partner with us and truly use us as an advisor. So, you know, we focus on activities that help us gain and retain Ray 1000 clients. More recently, we've also been working on employer branding. Um, the talent wars are just crazy. So, you know, also looking at how we can help the firm gain and retain top talent. Um, so while, you know, we're not, we're certainly not the HR department, we're not out there recruiting, but we are promoting our culture and making Ray be an attractive place to work in addition to an attractive place to do your accounting, business consulting, that type of thing. Which I must say, I think you guys have done a very good job of that. Um, and I know it's very competitive and, and difficult mm -hmm. out there. But I think when any of the associates would meet uh, any of the Ray team members, no matter, no matter what of the 16 locations, it is um, very approachable. And we're going to get into this later. The idea of, I would just say, they're just happy and friendly people. And you mm -hmm. and I talked about that. And we're kind of both still trying to figure out exactly why yeah. that is. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess it's a great cultural gift. Um, I do want to get into this idea that you and I shared um, and that you said to me the other day, and I think it's awesome, and I'd like you to talk about it. Because people talk about it, but you guys do it. Okay. And that is people-first organization. Mm -hmm. So many brands say they're people-first organization, and then it comes out in the news, oh, they're not people-first. Here's what really happened. Right, right. Right? Even international brands to national to local brands. How do you perform as a brand putting your people first and how do you execute that? So I think there's a couple of different ways. You know, we have the more programmatic things. So looking at our benefits that we're offering employees, making sure they're having fun at work. And then there's also on the development side, making sure that they have the tools and the knowledge they need to do their job and to do their job well. You know, we really, there's a line in the Rayway that says raise up leaders. And that is not, that's not just a line in the Rayway. That's truly something that we try to do. Um, we have several different advisory groups throughout the firm. Um, we have a young professional advisory group, um, a manager advisory group, several ones that they meet quarterly and they meet with the CEO. And they talk about, you know, what issues they're having that maybe are preventing them from doing their job to the fullest extent, what ideas they have to help improve the firm. And that information is going straight from their mouth to the CEO's ears. And that's not something that he just walks away from that meeting and goes on. Like they really do consider that and they think about how can we make this be happy and productive environment for every single person that works here. So that's amazing to me that there's not a buffer. Mm -hmm. 400 employees. Mm -hmm. And I know that they get put on advisory committees, but quarterly, the CEO's door, presently it, it's Don, mm -hmm. the CEO's door is open. Mm -hmm. And they're actually, the brand is actually doing feedback loops just to keep the employee, the associate, happy and voiced inside the company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, Don's headquartered in, in our new Philadelphia office, but he's, you know, pre-COVID at least, maybe starting now, travels to other offices all the time. Right. And he makes a point to go around and talk to people. And, you know, he may be wearing jeans and sneakers that day. And having that just informal interaction with the CEO. And, you know, he'll ask, how are things going? Is there mm -hmm. anything you need? 
And I think that's I think that's just so important. Our regional president here in Dublin, if if he finds out that your chair is uncomfortable, he'll get a little bit mad at you that you haven't spoken up and said, "Hey, can I get a better chair?" But something as simple as that, like he just wants you to be able to do your job well because they really do care about they really do care about the employees. Right. And the belief is, and you you guys have a phrase for this internally. We call them famous people. So the idea is that you kind of choose what you want to be famous for. So whether that's oil and gas, um, whether that's state and local tax, you choose what you want to be famous for. And one of our jobs as the practice growth department is to help that person become famous. So maybe we'll have them on our podcast. We do. Or, you know, writing articles with them and helping them get out there in the marketplace, right. um, helping them identify associations that they may want to speak speak at at their conferences. And then also being famous internally as well so that if someone up in Amherst has a client with a state and local tax issue, they know who to call instead of calling someone they may have went to college with at another firm. Right. And I'm sure this also helps with retention because if they really feel valued, Mm -hmm. I mean, you and I know how many surveys we've read and how much data has been proven. It's not about the money. It's about humans feeling valued at what they do. Yeah. And so, you know, that kind of goes back to that manager advisory board and those other advisory boards that we have, not only feeling valued, but feeling like you have some kind of control in your career path. You know, we have people that have had four or five different careers within Ray over the time they've been there. They've been in different service lines. Um, Our director of development started off as an intern. She was in government audit. She did forensic accounting. And now she serves the firm as helping helping our firm learn and do their jobs better. That's awesome, by the way. Yeah. And so you can kind of say, you know, if you if you see something that needs improved, okay, great. Help us figure out how to do that. Right. Or if you want to do something different in the firm, okay, great. Help us figure out what that looks like and why that's why that's beneficial and go, give it a try. And how does Ray execute on that? But to me, being around many professional services, having quarterly feedback loops like that to a CEO is one thing, but then it actually happening. So how do you programmatically make sure, okay, the CEO heard me. Let's not you, you necessarily use the chair example, but let's say it was a go-to-market strategy that somebody had as an idea or they decide, hey, I want to be insult state and local taxes. How do we make sure this is executed in the brand and how's that happen? Well, you know, I think it kind of depends on the the level of what they're what they're suggesting. Um, I went through our firm's program. Um, it's called NextGen, and it's a leadership development program. And as part of that, you identify a project. So it's kind of similar to what the advisory board's doing, but maybe on a larger scale. So my group's project was about internal communications, and we took feedback from our employee surveys and figured out like where's the dissatisfaction coming or where's the frustration coming from. We pulled some information about what does how does communication affect the bottom line. So we had to present we had to present it to firm leadership and make a case for it and say this is why we believe we need to add this position. If it's something like that, these advisory boards, you know, they have to kind of prove it, which is a good skill for them to learn. You know, it's a good skill to learn that persuasion and the research and thinking like an owner. Like if this was my money that I was paying this person, how do I know that's where I should be spending my money? Yeah, I love that. I love... Now, so some people may come back and not do enough research, not be persuasive enough Mm -hmm. to build their case. And the advisory board might then say, we hear you, but we need these other facts. Please revise and come back. Mm -hmm. And in other times, Becca, will they just say, yes, we think that could be valuable, but there's not enough momentum or it's not good this year. Will they also table a few things? Yeah, sure. I mean, you always have to look at 
priorities and what what other initiatives you have going on. But just that, again, just that action of taking the pulse of the employees and, you know, what are what are your peers saying about what it's like to work here? What clients do they like working on? What clients are a pain? And again, having that that voice and having that place to give that feedback is so important. Yeah, that's great. And the other thing that um, I wanted you to share with the listeners, which I think is, I love and I've, I've known, I've been with you guys from the uh, um, professional side for quite some time, but I did not know this. You actually allow new people to the firm to pick their major, mm-hmm. is what you call it, right? Mm-hmm. So whatever they can be famous in, they mm-hmm. can pick that, and they have up to three years. Yeah, I think that's what I think that's the way it's worked. So you know, they they get a chance to work on all different types of clients in different you know audit, tax, assurance, whatever it might be. But then the expectation is that you know we don't want generalists because right. again, it's you can't be famous for being everything to everybody. Right. So the idea with that is that you know, it kind of benefits Ray, but it also benefits the employee in the sense of, you know, yeah, we may have hired you to work on the tax team primarily, but if you prefer audit, you'll find that out as you work on audit clients. And if that's the career path you want, great, we have a place for you there. That's very impressive that you guys do that. Now, this feedback loop that we were talking about earlier, that in this idea of picking a major and becoming a famous person inside the brand, where did those concepts come from and how long have they been around? Picking a major, we used to call it shop, choose, migrate. So you're shopping, yeah. figuring out what you want, you pick it, and then you migrate over to that service area. Okay. And the famous people, you know, we developed a strategic plan. I think our first one was 2015. And so these those initiatives are actually part of our strategic plan. Okay. So it's not, it's not something that like this office does it, this one doesn't. Like, yes. no, this is it's in this, it's in the plan, it's in writing, it's part of the culture. This is how it is. Um, and I think that's why, you know, the strategic plan, I, I I once did a chart of our revenue year over year. And then when we started the strategic plan and it shot up because mm-hmm. of we we were all focused on the, a common goal. Yes. And we knew what was important to the firm. And it would kind of helped us focus, not only my team, but everybody focus on who we want to work with, who we want to be and how we want to get there. It is amazing that since 1938, there wasn't... The- there was no strategic, not strategic plan like that, mm-hmm. right? Until mm-hmm. five or six years ago, is yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. And that's true of many successful companies and brands. Yeah. But you still saw when you did implement, implement something this strategic that that uh, you saw amplification in what was happening in the business. Yeah. And I would also say that we're in the process of rolling out our third version of that strategic yes. plan. So having a strategic plan is great but it needs to evolve along with the company. So take a look at it every few years and update and change some things. And you may have to take some things out that, yeah, that didn't really, that didn't didn't really get off the ground. Right. It's okay. Yeah. And you may be like, great, we accomplished that. Let's take it out and focus on something else now. Right, right. That's a great point. That's why we call brands that we write brands and brand anatomies because they change. They're Mm -hmm. organic and you can't ignore them. You have to write into them. You have to learn from it, like we went through with COVID, you know, about as variants happen, Mm -hmm. we have to make changes in the marketplace. The same thing, whether it's health and wellness or in this case, you know, um, business services and consultancy. Right. Now, you brought up something interesting. And I love this. You know, the the day of the big brand was all about generalisms. Mm -hmm. It's all about general. Mm-hmm. Right, um, they could fix everything. I was thinking about um, Pringles potato chips. Didn't come from Lay's. 
it came from Procter and Gamble, hmm. which was a toilet paper and women's beauty maker. But they invented the stackable chip, right? Mm-hmm. Because they wanted something specific that wouldn't break when it was distributed across the country, right? So why why put it in a bag? Why don't you put it in a tube? Right. Right. Brilliant. But that innovation came from an expertise. They weren't even in P and G. wasn't even in the food business. That took a new CEO to do that. Mm-hmm. My point is. I believe there are still a lot of professional service firms that believe generalism is better than what you guys are doing, which is this Mm -hmm. idea of creating specific experts Mm -hmm. inside the brand. You said something amazing to me in that generalists, it's harder for generalists to farm business. Mm -hmm. I mean, who calls up and says, uh, hey, I have some general tax and business (laughs) problems. Right. (laughs) Can I get Major Dan over here to solve these? And I need, I need a socket wrench. Right. Right? It's too general. Right. So you said that it's hard to do that, but then you said something else that really talked about brand bonding. Trust. How can you pass a problem to a generalist? Mm-hmm. Risky. Mm-hmm. Now, your reputation is with his or hers. Mm-hmm. About how good they are about a specificity that needs done by your client but they're only a generalist. Mm-hmm. You said the beautiful thing about being specific and a famous person is in that expert, whether it be cyber, HR consulting, which you're going to talk about later, some of the unique products that you guys now offer. Yeah. You need experts to solve that. Uh-huh. You need the trust of an expert before you pass the baton. Right. So was that the drive behind that concept from human to human, that trust bond? How can we make this referral? You know, it used to be probably hey, we have some people in New Philadelphia before the strategic plan, people in New Philadelphia that can do that, but you maybe didn't call them heroes or experts, right? Mm-hmm. So how did this come about and why do you think that bond of expertise is something that the team now looks at versus the negativity of being a generalist? Yeah, so to answer how it came about, um, like you mentioned, I've been with the firm for a long time. So when I first started, it was a lot of generalists. And we started, I remember the exercise when we started segmenting our revenue by service and by industry. So you look at, okay, here's what we do for a benefit plan administration. Here's where that revenue comes from. Here's how much we have of that revenue in manufacturing, in construction, whatever it is. And we started developing teams to help grow whatever that service line or industry was. And as we found, you know, as these people are learning their specialties and really becoming experts in that area, the people that were specialized were getting more clients. They were growing their book of business a lot more than the people that weren't specialized. And they were also able to, to your point about, you know, referring work. You know, if you have a client you've worked with for 30 years, or maybe it's a brand new client, but that person trusts you. And for you to say, okay, I'm going to bring someone else. And this is not my wheelhouse, but I, I have someone that can help you with that. Hey, man, I have a client that I need help with. Please don't screw this up. Right. Not only from a client service standpoint, but like you can meet these needs, right? So Mm. that's what we're really trying to do is build a bench of people that can give clients holistic service. And I think the importance of being famous internally at Ray, you know, not only here's what I can do to help clients, but here's who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. And here's what I care about. And even though we have 16 offices and our people may not see each other more than once a year, year, if that, it's important to still get to know each other so that when you have a need, you know who to call and you know that person's not going to drop the ball for your client. Yeah, I think that's hugely important. 
Um, and I love what you said about, you know, a bench of players and holistic services, one expert at a time. Mm-hmm. That's what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. And I think about my relationships with your firm and the many different personalities and their expertise. I mean, some of them are absolute oppositional, right? But wow, I don't know what I would have done. I probably have to go to another firm. Yeah. I probably would have, re- I probably would have reached out someplace else um, if you guys hadn't had that expertise in-house. And the other thing that I respect about that is the brand doesn't peddle the expertise. Right. It doesn't. Right. And that's very smart. It's there if you need it. You know, it's like what we learned in COVID. You said there's no experts in COVID. You guys mm-hmm. can't be out calling yourself experts about, right. hey, what do we do? You know what PPP, to do. what? What? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you couldn't use the word expert there. You had to say we're your helping hand, mm-hmm. right? We're, mm-hmm. we're your support system for whatever you need. Let's do this together and uncover it. Yeah. So I, I, think, that's, I, I think that's just stellar. I think you guys do a wonderful job at that. And I can tell you from the agency business, so an agency back in the day, 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 that's what they did is got the budget and did anything. Mm-hmm. Now there are, you know, web only agencies. There's SEO agencies. There's podcast mm-hmm. agencies. There's new media agencies. There's media buying firms. You don't, that idea of a generalist as an agency. Now there are agencies like Publicist Group that are conglomerates, but they still don't break apart those subphylum brands mm-hmm. to do to specify the work that, that qualifies them as an expert exactly the model that you guys are using. Yeah. I mean, my clients, your clients are getting more sophisticated. Every business should be getting more sophisticated. So people are looking for those specialists. And, you know, one thing that Ray really holds closely is that, you know, there's a lot of consolidation in the accounting industry. So a lot of mergers and acquisitions happening. And we want to remain independent. And those firms that are not adapting to that and not specializing and not evolving along with their clients are the firms that aren't going to survive. So, you know, part of it is just looking forward ahead and like, what do we need to do to survive and thrive? And, you know, if our clients need this specialized knowledge, then by God, we need to be the ones to provide that to them before they go find it somewhere else. Right, right. Exactly. Now, let's talk about this idea of, for a minute, this power to the people. So we've talked about internally what that's done to the culture. And we'll, we'll talk about this emotionally uh, later in the podcast. But so you create these famous people. Mm-hmm. You put them on their own track of empowerment and discovery, mm-hmm. right? You infuse a loop that they can report back to the CEO quarterly mm-hmm. to make changes. You even said the strategic plan that was adopted in 2015-16, you've already um, iterated that two or three times. Mm-hmm. So there's, there seems to be this feeling of individualism and democracy happening. Yeah, the, yeah. Right? Individualism yeah. in the c- career, but democracy towards the brand and who they serve. So how does this relate back to the customer? I understand that if the employee is happy, then they'll probably serve the customer better. But you've, you've, we spent a lot of time talking about this internal power. Mm-hmm. Tell me how you think this feels to the customer externally. Yeah. Well, so um, the client experience is something that you hear more and more in the accounting industry. You know, at first, firms differentiate themselves by, I'm the firm in Dublin, Ohio. If you need an accountant, (laughs) I'm in Dublin. Because you're going to have lunch at the old bag of nails. So stop on by. Then it was like, okay, I'm a tax accountant. I'm an audit accountant. So you went to whoever you needed. Then the next differentiator was your industry specialization. 
Well, what we're seeing now is client experience is how firms are differentiating themselves. We just completed our client survey and I was reading through the results. And um, one of the things that we offer in our client survey is the ability to give a shout out to an employee that they feel has gone above and beyond. And it is so damn fun to read those. Um, When I would get them in, we would send them out to the whole region. And so they could celebrate what their clients were doing. And sometimes they were little things. Sometimes it was like, I literally couldn't function without my my partner, whoever mm-hmm. I'm working with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think when the when our employees are empowered, you know, that that definitely does trickle down to the clients. And we hope that our clients feel valued because again, even though we say pe- we put people first, the motivation of the client is behind that. We want our clients right. to, to stay with us and to refer work to us, of course. Um, we wouldn't have a company to work for if we didn't have our clients. Um, right. So, you know, we, we, we tell our people, you need to respond to your clients in at least 24 hours, even if it's a, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to get it for you. You know, show, show your clients that you care about their questions. Um, even if you don't have the answers, like we saw with, you know, early on in COVID with the CARES Act and PPP and everything that was changing day to day. Like, no, I don't know the answer to your question, but let's, let's find the answer together and we're going to get through this. All I know is bar tabs and golf expenditures were up. <laughs> after those days, I'm sure. Yeah, those were tough times. Yeah, I I was speaking to quite a few people myself in in your firm. You know, I was part of that that fiasco, if you will. And so what happens when we do shout outs to Ray Associates is you get to see how we feel Mm -hmm. about the brand. Mm -hmm. Not about what you plan about how we feel, but how we really feel. Mm -hmm. And is it your hope to then gather that information, especially what, what I would call not a one through five score or an A through F score, but an emotional carrot about how my firm or other clients feel about the brand and then use that feeling to uh, infuse the Ray brand, not just an education of services or like you said, it was locations, product services, but to use that emotionality to reconnect again with the client. Mm-hmm. Is that something you're thinking about? Yeah, absolutely. We, we want to look at that feedback and look for trends. Um, you know, what are most satisfied clients? Why are they so satisfied? What is different about... Awesome. What is different about this partner who has a 100% NPS score versus one that has a lower one? How are they serving their clients different? Maybe they're being more selective and they have fewer clients that they're doing more for. That's something that we're definitely seeing. And, you know, again, with this talent war that we're seeing, we definitely do have to be more selective with the clients that we take on and make sure that their people are people want to work with and that they're clients that value what we do for them. You know, we're not the le- the least expensive firm out there and we know that. Um, so we have to make sure that we're providing value to our clients for the fees that they're paying for us because we know they could go somewhere for less. So our hope is that they're more than happy to write that check to us. Right. And I would also say... In the brand's defense, you're also not a commoditized right. offering. You're a custom offering. Right. So I think you I think you guys provide a hell of a value for a custom offering. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that a little bit. Some of the products, you brought up so many good points there. I want to talk about customer service experience and then let's jump over to products. We, before we write a word in developing a brand, one of the things we do is research and we usually divide the clients into three buckets. The first bucket are hypers, those who love the client. 
The second bucket are nonchalance. Those we're not sure if they love the client. And then we interview B-backs. And the B-backs are those that we thought loved us, but wouldn't go on a second date or something <laughs> went wrong. Um, and we won't begin writing a brand until we personally interview the same 14 questions, Becca, but we personally interview all of the recipients in the bucket. Mm-hmm. They get an email from the CEO that says, these will be personal interviews. They take between seven and 15 minutes, right? And the reason that we do that is we're trying to find the truth, even before it's data, just the truth about feelings. Mm-hmm. Instead of like the example that you just said, which is a great one and it's very helpful, that we can get feedback. And I know you guys get feedback on things that you do wrong as well. It's not just feedback on things that are, like you said, a shout out and mm-hmm. positive things. Sure. And the reason we do that is so that we can remain honest before we even write the brand. Mm-hmm. because. If we only take even a nonchalant or a hyper and we leave that be back section, um, we're going to start to sell things emotively and connect emotively into a falsehood. So we have just done this and um, with a, with a uh, client and their largest client who they thought was a hyper was a phone call away from being a be back. Hmm. I mean, a large, large that you would know the name of. And we immediately stopped the process. We were just in discovery. Called the client and said, make a phone call, right? The beauty is that that feedback had a loop, like you're talking about the internal feedback loop that's happening at Ray. And because of that, we were able to quickly get the information. We didn't make the changes. The company did an awesome job Mm -hmm. of pivoting immediately. But they have a product and it's easier to do. They can make a change to a product. Now, it was the customer service that was screwing it up, not the product. In your case, though, it's professional services. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we're talking about a Goodyear tire, a Harley-Davidson motorcycle, right? Or a computer. So when you get this feedback and there's a problem in it, or you guys see a negative trend, Mm -hmm. like too many clients or the wrong clients for this expert, Mm -hmm. how do you go about as a brand making those um, iterations and changes? What do you do with the negative feedback? First, I'll say, you know, we do a survey once a year. I would love to get to the point of doing surveying clients at the end of an engagement. So here's your audit report. The next day you get a survey about how we did. Because if something, if they were really thrilled about something or they were really upset about something in October and we don't survey them until June, we're not getting the true feedback. But, you know, regardless, the once a year survey, if someone, you know, is labeled as a detractor, they, they, they're not very satisfied, we get an alert as soon as they hit submit on that survey. And I email the partner in charge, copy the regional president and say, you know, here are some talking points. Here's what the client said. Here's kind of how to handle this. I would recommend a phone call. Let me know what you find out. And, you know, oftentimes we find, um, oh, yeah, I'm not surprised to read that. You know, there are some that, you know, we can see this year that maybe rated us lower than they did last year. So that's a conversation that we need to have, like what changed. I do think last year, our our survey scores might have been a little bit inflated because it was right after everything with COVID. So people were all high on us. Like, you helped me through this. You got me all this money. So it'll be really interesting. Money will do that. Yeah, yeah. You get a check, that's your rating goes up. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So it'll be interesting to see how that trends over the years. We certainly don't want to rest on our laurels knowing that we got some great feedback last year. 
But it really, it really does show the clients, if it is a client relationship that we want to save, it really does show them like, oh, wow, you care that I'm not. You, you want to hear what's going wrong and how I can do better. Right, right. Okay, that's great. One of the other things I think is unique about you guys, when you bring in a new team member about how you introduce them to the firm um, and to the brand, and I think you walked me through about a three-step process. You know, this is what our team does. You were saying, this is how you can help and the firm's growth, those kind of things. Can you take us through when someone, even if it's not a, a uh, youngster that's coming out of college, say that it's just somebody else that you guys have picked up as a great employee or a hire, how do you onboard or how do you introduce the brand to them? I mean, does it start with a Ray Way, a cultural over time, or is there a process model? I would say for the most part, it's cultural over time. You know, they're getting their their first day, their first couple weeks experience in their local office. And they're hearing about it, but they're also seeing it. For those employees that we bring on that may be a manager or senior manager partner level, um, I do try to have a meeting with them and learn about what they're bringing to the firm, why they felt like it was attractive to work for Ray and Associates, what they were told their their job expectations are. And then Mm. I explain a little bit about how my team can help support them. You know, I may have to walk them through how to use our CRM system, but we really want to, you know, kind of, customize that uh, those conversations a little bit based on who the person is, what office location they're in. You know, some some of them are like, oh yeah, I've heard this. I've heard that. I know about that already. And I'm like, awesome. Great. <laughs> Great. So we do have a good level of trust in the people that are onboarding okay. across our offices to take care of a lot of that. Um, you know, we do have some work to do in terms of formalizing that a little bit better. We also have an annual orientation and I send someone from my team to do a more formal presentation about the brand and why does an accounting firm need a marketing department and kind of some of those basics. You know, up until the sometime in the 70s, it was illegal for accounting firms to market. Illegal. That's just so, crazy. Like when I joined the firm, there were partners that were working in that time. And it's like, well, I built my business without this. I don't need this. Those so, must have been glorious days for you. <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> Um, they're but, questioning know, your existence while they're paying you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those days are gone and they see our value now. And, you know, we're also able to say, we'll work with the ones that want to work with us. And if you're not on the bus, I'm not going to spend my time trying to get you exactly. on the bus. The bus is going. To recap where we are, we talk about power of people, putting people first. Uh, the Ray Way was the amplification of the philosophy in 1938. The, the brand by a single individual at the time. And now you guys, some of the services that you offer, I have had some of my constituents say, really, they they do that? So why don't you talk about how the standard accounting firm, since you brought up the 70s, the standard accounting firm is no longer that and how you guys are actually breaking new ground on stepping way outside of the box on the kinds of things that you're offering businesses. It is not an accounting firm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when I first started, it was audit, tax, and accounting were the main services we offered. We also had, um, you know, some other more cons- consultative type services, employee benefit plan administration, um, business valuations. But within the last couple of years, some of the services that we've started offering are HR consulting and cybersecurity. And, you know, we're not the only firm in the industry that offers know, those. But I if know. you look back five, 10 years, no, no, one, one, no one was. Especially like cyber. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there wasn't even a need for it, really. Right. right, Um, right. Yeah. So that's just another way for us to, you know, we're looking out at the future in terms of what do our clients need? 
what expertise do we either have in-house? You know, our lead HR consultant used to be our HR manager. So she was doing the hiring. I remember she was that. doing the internal HR. Um, and I, th- I think the way she got started was just like, hey, I have a client that needs some help with the handbook. Is that something you can do? And it kind of turned into like, she really had a passion for it. She's really great at working with clients and finding new clients. Um, so, you know, that's not something that I'm sure she ever planned for when she started working at Ray. But again, that's an example of if you have a passion, go right. do it. Um, well, there's your one-two punch, like you said, of empowering people, right? Like you said, pick your major. Mm-hmm. She changed her major. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and it led to helping grow the practice, but it also created a whole other product silo for you guys. Yeah. And so, you know, if I have a client that has this need, I'd rather have them come to us for that than go elsewhere. And also, you know, if if, if Renee's able to bring in an HR consulting client that's new to the firm, that's great. Let me, over time, learn about what your other needs are and see if we can help you in other ways as well. Yeah. I, I love that. And not only that, that shows care. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, and not only that, it's efficient. Because if the client was to hire someone else to do that specific service, you have to chase down that information or you get it second and third hand when a busy entrepreneur doesn't have time to properly educate you on all that he talked about, right? Right, right. So you've got people differentiation. You've got product differentiation. So as you grow this, as you have successfully grown it over 16 years, Becca, from people to now productizing it, then the next natural evolution is becoming a brand that is just recognizable for these things that mm-hmm. almost stops selling mm-hmm. because it quickens the, the purchase intention. Right. You're probably thinking down the road, how do I strike that balance? Hence why you're looking at that strategic uh, marketing plan and saying, oh, that needs, this needs change and that mm-hmm. needs change. How do you see the balance in the future as you guys keep productizing, you keep bringing in better and better people? Let's say that that keeps happening Mm -hmm. at the rate it is. And you said, once I had that strategic plan, the ramp of the revenue went up. What would you then say, how do you begin balancing, okay, what's next for name recognition for Ray and the brand as as a major player, which it already really is. It's just a best kept secret. Mm hmm would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think targeting is always really important. We want our target clients, the influencers in the industry, bankers, attorneys, that type of thing. We want them to know about Ray. So it's really identifying who those people are and not only, oh yeah, I recognize that logo, but giving them an experience and showing them that, you know, if you refer your client to us, we're not going to drop the ball. We're going to do a good job. They're going to like us as people, which is like, honestly, probably the most important thing. Um, so, you know, sure there are like big go-to-market strategies, but I think also that, that personal touch and those personal relationships, um, unfortunately are harder to build, but that's really where you get the most traction. Yeah. Totally concur with that. And this is something that blows me away. Some of my favorite people that were at Ray that had to, that had nice opportunities, so they took them. Mm-hmm. I'm still... My firm's still with Ray. And the reason is simple, what you just said. The people are so approachable, nice, and caring. And I know, listeners, that sounds cliche as hell. (laughs) But it is not. It is not. I don't care their specificity um, or what city they're from. It's like you guys, I know you haven't done anything organic. You don't say you have to smile here and this happens here. Yeah, yeah. 
there's an attitude. Mm-hmm. And I, of course, I think it comes from the Ray way, which I think is a wonderful thing. But I almost think it's deeper than that. It's more of what you were talking about, about this culture. And that if you're not part of that culture, I think you just move away from Ray. You mm-hmm. might come into Ray, but you won't be there very long yeah. if you're not like that. Yep. You know, it's almost like um, accounting Darwinism. Yeah. Or customer relationship Darwinism. Yeah. I am so impressed by how nice they are. Sometimes when Melissa delivers me bad news. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I feel like she just has like a potted plant or a sucker <laughs> behind her back when she says, oh yeah, that's how much you owe in quarterlies. Yeah. My estimated, Melissa's right? Melissa's had that conversation with me as well. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's horrible. But she's always got some kind of gift when she tells you bad news. But what's amazing is I obviously, before I got in the advertising business, I in the branding business, I was in the entertainment business. And I have to say, until meeting Ray, my favorite thing back in the day was to run inside Geffen Records and talk to everyone I could, a bunch of creatives behind the scenes that were doing our album covers and things like that, because they were so nice, friendly, and everyone's door was open as creative. And I think I told you the other day, Ray has taken that bar and moved it up. Mm-hmm. For me, I have more fun in just communicating with every touch at Ray than I ever did in my rock and roll days at Geffen Records. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that approachability is a big part of the brand. I think you guys have done a wonderful job. Now let's talk about Dolly Parton and donuts. I love Dolly Parton. Okay. Donuts are okay. <laughs> okay, but from a music standpoint, because you know, I always think that a great brand, just like a great band. It's an orchestra. It's a symphony they do together, right? Mm-hmm. So as our listeners know, before each guest comes on, they fill out a brand personification form. And on that form, they personify the brand through various questions. And of course, two questions were asked, um, favorite food forever. And uh, you wrote on behalf of Ray Donuts. I did. And of course, performer or band or performing artist, you wrote Dolly Parton. Mm-hmm. Tell us about those two answers. So, you know, I'm an overthinker and I was really struggling with the food one. And I was like, well, you know, we have pizza in the office sometimes, but pizza doesn't really feel like our food. And then I thought about donuts. You know, you show up to someone's office in the morning, maybe you're going to visit a client, you bring a box of donuts or someone, you know, is driving by... Krispy Kreme on the way to work and they bring a donut box of donuts and they send out an email to the office, donuts in the kitchen. No one's ever upset to get donuts. And it's such a nice, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's uh, kind of hospitable to say, I brought you donuts. You know, you're starting oh, someone's day of... off with a nice sugary treat. Exactly. Um, <laughs> How can you be upset about that? Yeah, so. so that is beautiful. And that's what that's what I kind of just described about the Ray people. Yeah. Right? Yep. I don't it's, know. I don't know if everybody would agree with a, a nice sugary treat. It is. I'm glad to see you. Here's a donut. <laughs> exactly. Now, what does that have to do with Dolly Parton then? So, What's the approachability Dolly on Parton, that brand? You know, as you know, you did an exercise with our firm a few years ago and kind of we talked about who is the band. And I think the one we came to the conclusion of was the Eagles. I just came back from a vacation in the Smoky Mountains. Um, we spent a day on Dollywood. So I am like high on Dolly right now. Of course, her music is phenomenal. But, you know, thinking about who Dolly Parton is as a person, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to Dollywood, but in the middle of the park, there is an exact replica of the cabin she grew up in. She had, she was one of 11 or 12 kids and it was a kitchen and a bedroom. I mean, I'm talking half the size of this room. Right. And 
to be who she is now and to be so kind and giving and positive. She's loyal. She's been with her husband since before she had any of that stuff. I know. She just got all dressed up and did something like that. Oh, yeah. The, the you, Playboy bunny thing. The Playboy bunny. <laughs> you know, she has a sense of humor. I listened to... Um, there's a great podcast called Dolly Parton's America. Yeah. And we were kind of listening to parts of that when we were driving home from Gatlinburg. And, you know, she she talked about like, yeah, people make the jokes about her appearance and she just has to learn to laugh about it. Mm -hmm. um, so she has a really great attitude. It seems like nothing brings her down. Mm -hmm. She's so generous and giving, um, you know, that that library that she created for kids yeah. that don't have books. It's just, she's just so inspirational in so many ways. I mean, I'd vote for her for president tomorrow. <laughs> and like, I trust her. I don't right. know her, but I trust her. Right, right. And it was really interesting being in Dollywood. You know, I, I didn't really know what to expect, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, Dolly everywhere. Right. It wasn't about Dolly at all, really. Right. I mean, there were here and there. There was merchandise, of course. But, you know, she had a diner named after the place where she had her first cheeseburger. So it was more about the people that she knew and mm -hmm. grew up around and less about her. So the spotlight wasn't on her. So it didn't I, exploit her. Right. It told the story of the, her friends and family around Right. Her. She has a bald eagle rescue in there. I mean, it's just, she just wants this <laughs> it's place. Like, it's like heaven in America. I know. I was like, I was blown away. I was blown away. Everybody should go to Dollywood. <laughs> It'll change your life. Um, but it is aligned with the Ray way. Yeah. That's how she's living her life. Mm -hmm. Right? Totally. That deliberate. Totally. She's a yeah. national treasure. She she is. Well, yeah. that, that's very well said. <laughs> well, thank you very much for being on Getting the Brand Back Together. Thank you. And uh, congratulations again with all your success. And it's wonderful seeing you after 18 months. Yeah, you too. Very good. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. Thank you.